If you are a creative person of any kind, writer, director, actor, dancer, artist, podcaster, it's very likely that you've dealt with or are still dealing with imposter syndrome, that nagging feeling in the back of your mind that says you don't deserve success, that the world will find out soon enough that you're a fraud. Well, thankfully, there are people dedicated to helping others silence those negative voices. And this week's guest on Excelsior Journeys is one of those people, author, teacher, communications coach, Dr. Melissa Hurt. Melissa has quite a story to tell you, and she's got a message for all of those dealing with imposter syndrome. There is hope. JLD, do the honors. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey, and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for listening to over 80 episodes so far. We've interviewed so many great people. It's been such a thrill to be able to do this. We are not stopping anytime soon. So if you like what you hear, please spread the word. You can find the show and all of its platforms at he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. Any subscription, any rate and review on Apple Podcasts is wonderfully appreciated. And if you would like to show any sort of support, you can always click on the buy me a coffee link. I truly appreciate those who have taken the time to do that. And I look forward to consistently giving you as much great material as I possibly can. Now, when I started this, when I started this show, I always had it in mind for the Excelsior journey to be someone who is someone who has dedicated themselves to making themselves better and making the community around them better. And that is something that I've always made a point to celebrate. And early on in my show, I had, I had Brandy Stewart on and she told a terrific story about being a personal trainer and, and everything that she has been doing in that field, which I've always believed to be just absolutely remarkable. And it turns out, her sister is just as remarkable, and this is also someone that I've known from my days in, God, in Godwin High School and before that at Bird Middle School in Richmond, Virginia. I knew that both Brandy and Melissa were going to do great things, and I was right, because Melissa has gone on to become a published author, a voice and acting teacher at SUNY Albany, a certified yoga teacher, a what she calls a communication coach from the inside out. And I am so uh, looking forward to hearing Melissa's story, especially her latest venture, which is what she considers tackling imposter syndrome from the inside out. And as an author, I deal with imposter syndrome all the time. There's always that sort of feeling in the back of my head that at some point, someone's going to reveal the fact that I'm a fraud and I don't deserve to have these books published and I don't deserve the international bestselling author title. All of that just you know needs to go away and I just need to go back into my little hole. So that is something that I've been dealing with for so much of my life. And I am so thrilled to hear that Melissa has dedicated herself to working with people who are dealing with the same thing. If you are an author out there, it's very likely you're also dealing with the same thing and really just any sort of creative person. And I've interviewed so many other people here that feel the same way about themselves. So I really, really hope this, this week's interview works for you. And it is my privilege to introduce to you Dr. Melissa Hurt. How are you, Melissa? I'm so great. Thank you so much for that lovely, beautiful um, intro. And it's so nice to hear you talk about Brandy and uh, give us a shout out, all three of us, to our days at Bird Middle School. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you so much. It's nice to be nice to be here on your show. I have I have said this. I've said this before. I owe so much to Brandy because she was the one that reached out to me about possibly writing for the stunt talent night in junior year. Yes, I remember that. Because if it, if it wasn't for that, I might never have gotten back on stage. I might have just kind of 
not quite realized what I was set to do. And, you know, getting back on that stage and getting over that period of stage fright, it really, it, it set me on a course that I'm still on to this day. And I owe that, I owe that to Brandy in a, in a big, big way. So Brandy, if you're listening, hello, love you. And, you know, like, I hope you're doing well. And okay. so, so, so this is a real great topic that we're tackling here, imposter syndrome. What is it about that that makes you want to pursue that? Wow, imposter syndrome. I think it's something that pops up in everybody. I know that the stats, if you were to Google it, say 70% of people, but I just don't know who these 30% are that don't in any way feel like they are somehow posing as a fraud or anything in some realm of their life. I I genuinely believe it affects everybody. Mm -hmm. And for me, I... You know, I have a theater background. You might remember yep. that since I was really 14, I was studying theater and started intensively studying it when I was 16, all the way through like going the distance through college, MFA, PhD, all of it in performance. And I've always been so deeply interested in that dynamic between being your everyday self versus what happens when you're on stage in character. Mm -hmm. But of course, it has many layers and it happens in everyday life. And now there's, I mean, there's been this whole field of performance studies that's kind of akin to theater, which is how everybody performs in their everyday life. The way you show up in your Starbucks and talk to the barrister is different from how you show up and talk to your cousin at the barbecue. Performance is something that's happening every day. And so imposter syndrome for me is another layer of performance, but it's the level of performance that's holding you back from shining within your inner light. Mm. And as a spiritual person, a person who is deeply connected with my inner light and feeling that inner light as my source of not only creativity, but my connection to uh, other people in the world, Anything that darkens that inner light is something that I want to not only resolve in myself, but figure out the tools and the strategies to help other people focus their own inner light, tackle imposter syndrome, and always show up as their best self, regardless of the situation. So is that something that you feel that you're struggling with every day? And you feel like if you have been able to address that, then you can reach out and help others address the same thing? You know, that's such a great question because you know, no, I don't, I don't struggle with it every day now, mm -hmm. but looking back, of course, hindsight's always 2020. Mm -hmm. I think back in the day, I probably suffered from the, and suffers in air quotes here. It's not like I was debilitated by it, but it was something that showed up for me mm -hmm. in the form of um, the expert there. That's one expression of imposter syndrome, where it's the person who has to learn everything and get 15 certifications. And, and they're doing that because they feel like when, when they get that next level of training, then they're ready to offer that skill to somebody. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's a fine line for me between loving learning, which I genuinely do. I love curiosity. Mm -hmm. I could write love letters to curiosity and the muses that inform curiosity in myself. <laughs> But there's a difference between being curious and loving learning and feeling that you need to learn something in order to show up. And I think for myself, I certainly had a moment in my PhD where imposter syndrome was really coming through because I felt, you know, I'm about to become a professor. I'm going to be a doctor and I have an MFA. So technically, when I'm applying for academic positions, I could apply for anything in acting, directing theater history, like all these different realms. And I'm like, am I ready? Am I smart enough? I'm not the person publishing on, you know, 18th century European theater, you know, all these little micro niche areas of research. And there's definitely a level of imposter syndrome that pops up in that world. And so certainly I had to do a lot of work to understand where was that coming from? Was it sourced out of an inflated ego, which definitely happens in academia? Mm-hmm. Thankfully, and it's funny you mentioned Brandy and the timing of that uh, variety show, because at the same time as my PhD, I also came into yoga practice and I also came into Arthur Lessac's kinesensic voice, speech and movement work. 
Oh. Both of those modalities are embodied in nature and they are rooted in sensation in the body. Mm-hmm. And you, if you balance that against what's happening in a doctoral program, which is completely privileging your intelligence and your mind, and it's in some ways disembodying you from your body because <laughs> you're forced to sit in a chair and write papers and read for hours a day and negate the pain you feel in your back and your hips, which I know writers can understand that pain of sitting at a desk for long periods of time. Oh yeah. But it, it was just so interesting to balance that. And I really, I mean, I'm so thankful that I came into those two forms at the same time because it gave me an outlet to express myself physically, like on the yoga mat or through my voice and realize that I was much more than just my intelligence mm-hmm. and that the sensations in my body had a story to tell me. And so, and it also helped me to diminish ego. And I definitely was falling into an inflated ego in academia. And I was certainly copying pedagogical styles of some of my teachers from back in the day, instead of finding my personal style. And And it was unfortunately a style that was just like super hard on people. And so it took me a while to get rid of that level of imposter syndrome to show up as myself as mm-hmm. a professor, which is firm on policy, but also compassionate. I, I'm really happy with how I teach college age students. I understand them. And so I'm able to show up for them fully, as well as show up in a different way for my, the clients I get through Integrative Studio who are adults from all walks of life, all ages, all different career paths. So it's taken some time, but thankfully because of these embodied practices, I've been able to overcome imposter syndrome and know exactly who I am and how I show up in the world. That's fabulous. That is that is terrific. And that's something, that's a real example that I really hope that so many, so many of my listeners can emulate. Before we go into the beginning of it all, tell us a little bit more about Integrative Studio? Yeah, Integrative Studio is, it's a love child of mine that I came to probably about five years ago. You know, I felt like I I relate to Elizabeth Gilbert's uh, metaphor of the hummingbird. I'm sure you've heard that talk she did at an Oprah Super Soul event, but she talks about people who are either passion, mission-driven or the hummingbirds. And the hummingbirds are those people who have multiple passions, multiple interests, Mm -hmm. and they can't just pick one thing to do. Yeah. Because for many, many, many years, I had so many jobs and titles, so many things that I did, and I equally loved all of them. I worked as a makeup artist professionally. I was an actress. I was a director. I, you know, I loved being a professor. I loved so many things. And Mm -hmm. And then when I became an author, I loved writing. And so I loved all of it. And I couldn't really pick one thing. And so I thought, I have all of these skill sets and all of these things that I love to do. And they all trickle down at the root to helping a person express him, her, themselves at the fullest potential to that inner light. And so I'm going to integrate all of these skills and passions that I have and serve people through them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I take embodied voice and speech practices, which for me helped me to get clear on myself and get focused and feel empowered in myself through my speaking voice. But synergistically, all of that happened to my voice my, with mm-hmm. a capital V as a woman in this world. So I bring embodied voice and speech into my, my work. I do uh, mindful movement and yoga philosophy, yoga lifestyle, which is so much more than what happens just on the mat for 30 minutes, but it really is a framework for understanding life and how you work within the world with other people. And then I bring in the tools from actor training, which for me are really life coaching skills because Mm -hmm. then you understand who you are, how you function in your relationships, you understand what your goals are, what your obstacles are, and what are the actions you take, the score of physical actions you take in your life to accomplish your goals. So I take all of these things and I kind of put them together. And through that, I've created online courses, I coach clients, and I help them on whatever, wherever they are in their journey to get them to the next step. 
Fabulous. It's it reminds me a lot of I actually uh, just did like a little visual exercise for myself not too long ago. I just kind of took some Lego bricks from my daughter's set and I just kind of set them down. And I was just like, OK, so the author of me is right over here. The audiobook narrating is over here. The voice acting is over here. The podcasting is over here. How can I get these blocks to stack on top of each other instead of just being like four separate things? That's what well, I feel like. Well, what you do and what I advise on that is that's how you find your, your purpose. You yeah. look at what's the common thread. I, mm -hmm. I love the image or the, the concept of the lowest common denominator. Yeah. And if you look at what's the commonality between those things, so you have audiobooks, you have writer, you mm -hmm. have podcast, and what was the fourth one? A voice actor. So actor. Voice actor, yeah. So, so it's all storytelling. It's all storytelling. It's all, and, it's not, and it's not only storytelling, but it's creating a world for mm -hmm. your listener. Yeah. Um, and it's all really through voice, whether it's the voice you take in your written word or mm -hmm. your actual voice, but that level of expression is very important to you. And so, you know, I can't imagine you just being a writer because mm -hmm. that would be denying you of that physical outlet of speaking. That's true. That is yeah. true. I do love, you know, speaking on doing various panels at, uh, at conventions and conferences and everything. It was a real privilege to be able to serve the Missouri Writers Guild as a president for a year. Awesome. You know, so, I love it. Yeah. so there's, I, I, I definitely feel that, you know, feel that here. So that, that helps me right there. So there you go. So let's talk about like the very beginning of it all, because it really kind of started with your own sense of performing so let's go to that lightning bolt moment that moment that made you want to go in that direction so what was that like for you to be an actor my that first lightning bolt to be an actor yeah the one that that inspired you into like getting on stage or you know getting in front of a camera or whatever you know it's so funny because that that started in high school for me yeah and you know the teenage years are so hard Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm just really thankful that I understand children's literature because if you understand the difference between middle grade books and young adult books, you understand that the what the readership, the differences mm -hmm. in the readership that the middle grade books are all about belonging within a community, but what YA is all about finding your independence. So that framework really helps me objectively look at how I was as a teenager because I feel like I didn't really have a community coming into my adolescence, I just kind of felt like an outsider in my own way. And you're still finding your independence, but you don't know from which you're breaking out of, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, where are you going? Yeah. And so for me, though, the theater and theater people, it was the first time I felt like I had a tribe. We were just mm -hmm. this weirdo band of freaks who just loved, <laughs> we loved um, human storytelling, just like mm -hmm. the, the human experience and how rich it is and how different it is. Yeah. And even though I didn't have a strong sense on who I was, for some reason, when I became a character, to feel so enmeshed in the world of the play, I felt like I completely belonged and was a part of something bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. And but still very real and connected through my body in that present moment. And when you're a teenager who has anxiety, which, you know, a lot of people have anxiety, but anxiety tends to keep you almost outside of your body hovering above the ground. It's a very elevated state. So there's yeah. really nothing grounded about anxiety. And, but when I'm in character and, and I've done all the analytical work to understand character and I know why my costuming is what my costuming is, like everything has a reason and a purpose. I am so saturated through my bones in that character that I'm like, wow this is like such a real visceral experience, yet it's quote unquote fake because mm -hmm. I'm playing a character. Yeah. And so there's that strange doubleness to it. And, and you'll hear other actors say that sometimes they're never more themselves than when they're in character because you're, you're really expressing a tiny facet of yourself, but expanding it 300% to fill mm -hmm. the shoes and the needs of that story. And so that was my first taste of it. But I also felt like it was so electrifying to move an audience in some way based on the art that I was creating in that, you know, two hour moment yeah. to share an experience with people. You get a taste of what the ancient Greeks were going for with catharsis. Like the, if you go back to ancient Greece and 
the theater festivals that they did back then as, as you know, insanely important performance practice in their times. It was to bring the community together and teach the community the norms and functions of their behavior that are acceptable to the gods. Mm -hmm. And the stories were so immense to scare the life out of them to say, don't do this because then you're going to suffer this, <laughs> this outcome. <laughs> and so, so they get that immense emotional catharsis and, but to do it in this massive amphitheater in your community with your city state all around you, it's, I mean, I can only imagine how bone shaking that was. Yeah. And so I think we still get that today, even on smaller levels with audiobooks, to be honest with you. I think that is an inherent neurological need in people is storytelling. Yeah. And so to know that I was a part of that at such a young age when I wasn't entirely sure on who I was as a person, I was, you know, coming into that and figuring that out. But to know that by finding myself through all of these different types of characters, I could understand more closely who I was and understand who I wasn't, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I'd say that was my first taste of it. And then certainly pursuing it and doing it more in college. And in my MFA, I became a director nice. and um, really fell in love with nurturing other actors through that process mm -hmm. to give them the story. It was just, I always equated it to, I wasn't a mother then, but I equated it to like preparing your child for the first day of kindergarten. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, taking all these natural skills and gifts and beautiful things that they offer themselves and helping them shape it and understand it within this uh, framework. And then opening night is like putting them on the school bus and waving goodbye and saying, you, you're going to have a great day. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I just always love that as a director. But I'd say that Perfect. I didn't really come into my own skin until I started doing the LESAC voice and speech work, mm -hmm. but which was about 15 years after I started my theater journey. Wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah. It's amazing. Amazing how the you find like this one specific type of basically like a strategy and you right. realize it's like wow that fits me perfectly and then yeah. just all of a sudden it just you, you just it just you know, like it, it's like you're like a sponge and yeah. just soaking it all in and ready to just go move forward with that mindset that's terrific yeah um, and it's pretty undeniable when you get a feeling of of what clicks for you, you know, it's almost like the sky changes color. Like you just know that you're mm -hmm. in a groove of some sort, even if it's like having a taste for something and you don't know what you're craving, but you know, the taste is there, yeah. you know, and then you realize, oh, that was an enchilada I was craving, <laughs> you know, but it's like, you have that strong feeling. You can't deny that feeling. Whenever yeah. you feel that feeling of flow and connection, like there's something bigger moving through you that you just really need to honor. Absolutely. And was it that, uh, was it the experience of being a director, being a nurturer? Was that what kind of eventually pushed you toward not, you know, like, obviously it helped out with the, with the teaching part of it, but the, you know, just like becoming a yoga instructor and, and going into the other branches of, of the different, different avenues that you've explored. Has that, was that kind of like the start of it all? Absolutely. Absolutely. Being a director was my first taste of motherhood in a way. And, and I speak about motherhood, like the mother as like an archetype. Yeah. I think that we all identify in some way with, with a larger archetype. And for me, mine is the mother. And that doesn't mean that I am like coddling people, but what it means is that I so deeply care about another person's growth. Yeah, yeah. And, and while also taking care of myself so I have more tools to offer them that that is absolutely why I'm on this earth. It's when I'm a teacher of any age, young adult, or even a child, if I'm teaching like kids yoga, I am always honoring that mother type where I will give firm boundaries to keep them safe or help them to better understand a context or a framework that we're learning. But I am always seeing a person as a whole person who has a life outside of my time with them. Mm -hmm. And so... I think that's just my responsibility on this earth to understand that people have all kinds of things moving through them. And it's a gift for me to be able to work with them and teach them anything that helps them enhance and nurture their experience 
on this earth so that they can be the best person they can be. And that definitely started as a director. I certainly got a taste of that at first when I was directing. Excellent. And do you, what was the first show you directed? You know, it's funny. The first show I directed was Amiri Baraka's Dutchman, which mm-hmm. I'll never forget because it's Black Revolutionary Theater from the 1960s. And mm-hmm. I was at George Mason University. And at that time in the 90s, there were no Black men in the theater program. Mm. And I thought, and I was like, well, I love this play. It's an important play and I want to direct it. And I remember asking one of my professors who was in charge of the multicultural center on campus. And I said, Mark, I need black men for my show. I want to direct Dutchman. He was like, Dutchman? Amiri Baraka's Dutchman, you're directing Dutchman. He's like looking at those little white girls like, yeah, it's a really important plan. I want to direct it. Mm-hmm. And so he helped me find actors, but it was great. It was yeah. great. So, and I've always been drawn to stories with some, where there's something much bigger happening, mm-hmm. you know, and going back to that whole idea of catharsis, anyone who's read Amiri Baraka's Dutchman will know, I'm not going to give away what happens at the end, but it's shocking. It's yeah. shocking. And it's meant to, it's meant to give the audience a catharsis and a disgust. But in this, in this situation, it's made to happen towards social revolution. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, I love it. It's such a great play. Now, when you start from something there, it's really difficult to just kind of, you know, go back to something that's a little bit more tame in yeah. a sense. So, so did you just keep on going in that in that direction or did did you try to go for something that was a little bit more universally acceptable, you can say? Yeah, I've definitely directed a range of different plays and I can understand how, because I really at my core also, I'm not just a mother, but I really am a social activist. I care deeply about social justice mm-hmm. and I always have my entire life. Yeah. Um, but it gets pretty exhausting to only direct shows or be a part of shows with that aim. And mm. so I certainly discovered my voice as a director as one who wants to work on the process and, and nurture my community. And what, what does my community want? Mm-hmm. And then sometimes what does my community need? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I might direct a really great show and, and that somehow has some kind of message in there, but it's still a very entertaining show. So, I mean, I directed, I mean, I directed August Strindberg's Miss Julie. Oh, I nice. directed nice. Spoon River Anthology, The Glass Menagerie, Maria Fornes' Mud. So, Oh, and then, of course, like brand new plays by, you know, brand new playwrights, helping them develop their works and staged readings and at, at community festivals. So really, it runs the gamut. I don't limit myself to just one style of play. It's fabulous. That's, that's a great way to do it. So, so you've gotten this experience with directing. What was the next step in your own personal evolution? Hmm. Oh, well, after my MFA, I landed a great job as the head of speech and drama at Dodge City, Dodge City Community College in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And I was really happy to get that job because when you're finishing your MFA, there's this pressure. This is kind of, I guess, where imposter syndrome can sneak in. I think any graduate student knows about imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because you're thinking, oh my God, if I don't get a job, then they're going to know that I'm like a big loser and I really shouldn't have this degree. Mm-hmm. And so, so, but I did, I got the job and it was in charge of uh, a big program and I got to write the curriculum because they didn't have a drama curriculum. So I got to write that. I totally streamlined their public speaking courses through all their satellite programs. It was just an amazing job. However, it was in Dodge City, Kansas, and it was just wasn't my culture. I really couldn't connect with Southwest Kansas. It just, you know, wasn't my, at that time I was a vegetarian, which when you're in the capital of the beef packing industry (laughs) and you're vegetarian, it's like, you don't make a lot of good friends, you know? And it wasn't like I was like the enemy there, but they were really lovely, but it just wasn't, wasn't my, wasn't my thing. But I knew I wanted to get a PhD. And that was because I I really felt like I I wasn't done learning. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I wanted to also teach theater history because I love theater history. I love the Federal Theater Project. Yeah, uh, which was an American project during the uh, 1930s. So I got my PhD at the University of Oregon. But my first, my next breakthrough really came through uh, studying yoga and the Lessac voice work. Nice. 
Very nice. And so, and then after, you know, like uh, after studying yoga, you became a certified instructor as well, right? That was much later. Yeah. I I started yoga in, let's see, 2008. Mm -hmm. And then, no, it wasn't. It was 2005. And then in 2008, I moved to Sydney, Australia for a year and started to practice at a very beautiful, legit studio called Yoga Synergy Australia. Mm -hmm. And it totally just flipped me on my head. It was just amazing. Just best instruction. And it deepened my practice immensely. And then moved back to America the next year and kept practicing, went back to Australia to do a private study with Simon Borg Olivier for six weeks while I was also teaching the LESAC work at the National Institute of Dramatic Art in Sydney. And was like, you know what? I think I wanna be a yoga teacher, but it's funny because, and I don't know if it was imposter syndrome, but I was terrified of becoming a yoga teacher because I, I said, this is a massive responsibility and I don't know if I can handle another person trusting me with their body. You know, because gotcha. if you think about yeah. a yoga class, I had so much respect and reverence for what the class was. And here's a person, many people come to yoga because their doctors say, listen, you've got a shoulder issue. You really should do some yoga to open it up or you've got back issues or whatever. Yeah. And, or people just come into yoga because their life is really hard and they want release. And I thought, I have so much respect for that, that I don't want to mess that up. Right. And I remember the head of the, teacher training program was like, it's because you care about that, that you will be the best yoga teacher. Mm. And I, you know, eventually I was like, okay, let me do this. I'm going to go through. And sure enough, as I started teaching yoga classes, that mother archetype came through and I was like, I I don't have to be scared of these people trusting me with their bodies. I can, I can nurture them because I deeply know yoga practice because I, I care about it so deeply in my own life. Mm-hmm. And only teach them what I know well. You know, obviously, yeah. it sounds like, yeah, of course you will. But I mean, I'm telling you, there are yoga teachers that just that maybe don't do that. Right. So right. I was able to create a container for them where they could be safe. They could express themselves. They could relax and connect with themselves more deeply for the next hour, hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. Excellent. So I became a, a certified yoga teacher in 2012. Oh, wow. Okay. And what was it that, that prompted you to go all the way over to Sydney? Like that's a, that's a huge jump over there. It was a huge jump at the time. It's because I was newly married Mm -hmm. and my husband was a a physicist and he had a position at the university of new South Wales researching there. Ah, okay. And so, you know, I just want to be a wife. And I also wrote my dissertation in Sydney. So I thought, and because I was in my dissertation year of my doctoral program. So I'm like, well, yeah, I could just, I, technically you could write it anywhere. Right. Looking back, I, I, it would have been great to have stayed in Oregon because when you're on the massive time lag and you have to get in touch with your advisor to ask a question, but then you have to wait a day <laughs> to get an email back because of the time change. That was, that was a little stressful. Yeah. Yeah. It was for that. What was it like uh, just being in Sydney? Oh gosh. Well, literally it's a different world. I mean, America and Australia are, if you think about it, both British colonized countries, but at different times. And so oh, yeah. <laughs> there's some, a lot of similarities, of course, but they're also very different. And I mean, I certainly love the beaches. They're gorgeous. Their coffee is fantastic. It's just, it's truly beautiful there. People yeah. were lovely. It was just very hard for me to be on the other side of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, that was just really, really challenging. But yeah, it was, it was a beautiful place. I have a lot right. of love for Sydney. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So what was that for, for everything that you had been dealing with all the internal struggles that you were having regarding becoming a certified yoga teacher, going through that constant, basically like a, it sounds like an inward battle of just like, you know, do I, you know, I have so much respect for this. I don't want to mess it up. Am I doing the right thing? Am I, am, am I doing the, am I doing my students justice by pursuing this Mm -hmm. what was it what was that first class like that really kind of did that kind of allow all those feelings to kind of calm down or was it something that maybe intensified it oh no it definitely calmed down when you're when you're when you step in the shoes of what you're meant to do Mm -hmm. you you really just feel the air change I, i i don't really know any other way to explain it and but i think you've experienced it probably yourself when you're in flow that state of flow yeah technically the definition of flow 
is when a skill set that you have is appropriately matched with a level of challenge mm-hmm. that it, it just locks you into flow. Yeah. And so I had a skill set with yoga and the challenge was facing myself mm-hmm. <laughs> and stepping in as a teacher and taking time to communicate the, the class and to keep them safe. But I just remembered there's actually an act, it all goes back to acting. That's why integrative studio is not just one modality because there's mm-hmm. a book called The Actor and the Target by Declan Donnelly, I think is his last name. Mm-hmm. But the whole premise of that book is like focus on the target like an archer focuses, you know, like the arrow has to land on something. And so when you put your energy outward, so it's not about you, it's about where you land. It's a whole other way of approaching connection. Yeah. And so- I just focused on my students in the room with me, whether it was like two people that showed up or a group of 30 people, keeping my eyes on all of them and just kind of holding them in that space. I just, yeah, I was in flow. So really, I think for my, for me, imposter syndrome would come up before doing the thing. But mm-hmm. once I was in it, it's like, oh, I'm in heaven. This is exactly where I need to be. Oh, it's fabulous. That is so cool. I, I'm I'm so anxious to get that sort of feeling myself. You know, I I know what you mean. You know, you especially have, you don't have that feeling yet. Well, you know, I mean, right now with with writing this third Excelsior book, you know, it's it's definitely. I, I was saying to uh, to a friend that you know, like if feel the feeling that I'm feeling right now with writing that is a combination of like you know some imposter syndrome kind of you know on the top but mm-hmm. you know like right below it it's intimidation because yeah. ever upward part 2 in the excelsior journey in my opinion so far is the best thing i've ever written yeah and i it's something that i really you know just it's it's a, it's a story i've been wanting to tell since high school yes like i the, know <laughs> the, the, the initial storyline you know like i mean this yeah. character was created back in 92 and and I had the origin story and the story that was told in Ever Upward. I had skeletons of those yes. out there. And, you know, that have filled many steno notebooks that have, you know, since long gone. But but those skeletons were always there. Part three was always like it only it only just had a handful of wouldn't this be cool moments. Mm-hmm. So it's been a matter of trying to get the story proper to fit into this whole. In, into this whole mythos and mm-hmm. constantly trying, you know, making sure that I don't fall into the, into the, uh, the similar rut of many other part threes that are out there, which is just like act one, get your characters out of the mess that they were in in part two. And then acts two and three, big battle to wrap it yeah. all up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't want it. I didn't want to do that. You know, like I wanted to, to make, that. to do something yeah. different with this one. And that's been like that sort of feeling of intimidation. Just like, you know, I wrote, I can hold up, you know, like ever upward, no matter what else happens in my life and just say like, I wrote this, you know, this, this came from me. How do I top it? You know, how do I at least live up to it? And that's what I'm dealing with right now with part three. Well, this is where I would recommend meditation practice as being a game changer for Mm. you. Because what I do, like I'm writing a middle grade novel in verse yeah. Which I didn't even know that existed until two years ago. I was at, I'm a member of the society, SCBWI Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Mm-hmm. I have yep. a, a yoga picture book out with Sounds True. And so, I, I mean, I love children's literature. So I was at their New York City conference mm-hmm. and the winner of the Golden Kite Award for middle grade was the author of lifeboat 12 mm-hmm. and she's like yeah i wrote this in verse and i was thinking you can write a book in verse i was like oh, nice <laughs> how do you do that <laughs> wow and then, <laughs> i was just so impressed yeah and i was really such a such a newbie about what was out there in children's literature mm-hmm. so so now i'm writing a book in verse though because then it just turned out that the story this is a whole other this is a whole other thing we could talk about but mm-hmm. that the story as when i sat with the character she just told me, she was like, this is in verse. This is going to be a book of poems. And I was like, okay. So, but, but it's because of my meditation practice that started with my yoga practice all way back when. Yeah. Where I'm able to kind of like sit with a feeling and mm-hmm. just sit with it. I mean, literally just, I'm just sitting with my, her name is Stella. That's the name of my protagonist. And I just sit with her and I say, what's your story? Nice. And I, 
she just tells me, you know, she's a 12 year old girl because I'm it's a middle grade novel and she's telling me her story. So I would say for you, you know, start meditation practice and just sit with your hero and say, mm-hmm. what's the story? Just yeah. have coffee with them, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. he drinks. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he definitely, he definitely drinks coffee. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, yeah. And it, it, this, yeah, this one is definitely just to kind of like, you know, just add on to what I was saying before, you know, this particular book is definitely a darker story than mm-hmm. the first two. My character goes through quite a bit and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, there, there's, there's stuff that's coming up that I'm so anxious to write, but then I got to get through these parts first. So I feel like it's going to be a, it, there's going to be a point where I'm just going to like stop where I am and then just start writing the other parts. You have to though, so don't you think mix you should just write the Lego bricks and then put the bricks together? Yeah, exactly. You know? Going yeah. back to the Legos, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. Are, are you a, so are you an outliner, like a hardcore outliner? Or are you a pantser? I am. I'm kind of a mix of both. When I wrote Excelsior, it was, I knew the beginning and I knew the end and it was up to me to figure out how to get there. Right. And then, and then that was, that was a journey that I did the NaNoWriMo challenge to mm-hmm. uh, National Novel Writing Month. Yep. And so that, that, uh, that challenge actually pushed me forward. It was just like, just get it down, get it down, get it down. And I was able to do it. The second one, it was there. It was very much outlined. It was outlined, and I even went over it with my my story editor before I started writing it. Wow. And it was when I started writing it that's when like things really came to life. Love it. And I was working on that book for five years on and off. And with this one, I put together the first draft. Basically, consists of an of an outline slash manuscript because there are a lot of completed parts in there. But there was also a lot that I knew just I, I didn't have it in me to get it down right now. So I just just jotted down like this is what happens in this chapter and then moving on to the next one. So that became like a very rocky read for my publisher. So I'm trying to kind of like do right by him and get a completed <laughs> manuscript for for this. So that part of it is uh, that that's, it's 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 a challenge. It's definitely a hill. Bertolt Brecht used placards in his plays mm-hmm. and his alienation effect. Yeah. And the whole idea was that was he would give away what happens before the scene even happens. But then the scene is about figuring out how that happened. Yeah. And so you basically written the placards. So now let the fun be, how does this happen? How do we get there? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Take, take that approach to it. So everything is mindset. Everything is mindset and how you frame it. It really is, and yeah, I, I definitely couldn't uh, couldn't agree with that more. And especially what you had said before about middle grade and YA, yeah. because what I'm doing with the eventual middle grade series that I'm going to be starting up after I finish oh. this one, it's it's exactly what that is. It's a, a character finding their place in a community. Yep. So it as soon as you said that, I was just like, oh, good, I'm on the right path. So I'm really <laughs> anxious to see like what how that one goes. But oh, at the same time, yeah. I got this third one in my way. So excited for you. So awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So with everything that you have going on right now, what is the next thing that you want to take on? Wow. I love it. And well, I have a program called Abundant Leader Academy mm-hmm. um, that I am in the beta test phase for, but it's working gorgeously. I, I told the, I told the, my clients in my beta test that I have three secret sauces that I've been using for 20 years mm-hmm. as a coach and a teacher and, and even for myself. And now this program is putting all these secret sauces together to see if that recipe works and it's working. It's working amazingly actually. And so I'm very Excellent. excited to be opening that up to uh, the public and the summer, summer, 2021. Nice. So that's helping people uh, to really tackle imposter syndrome from the inside out. And so that approach, though, uh, it goes back to my experiences with embodied voice and speech mm-hmm. and as a writer and as a yoga practitioner who's deeply connected to meditation practice and, and the inner voice, mm-hmm. because my 
my style and approaching imposter syndrome is you have to get to the core of it, to the root of it. I don't think it's enough to just look at how great your CV is and say, yes, I am competent and I can do this, which right. a lot of, that's a lot of the advice out there. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I feel like that's only a small part of it, of, of what can really help a person. Mm-hmm. And so I, I lead my clients through just basic, easy peasy meditation practice that doesn't take much time at all. But when you start to notice the words that come to you, the word choice and mm-hmm. the tone of voice and where you feel it in your body, you can really nip at the root of mm-hmm. where imposter syndrome is originating in you. And yeah. then we take it from there. And so, so it's a program that is just as much embodied practices to deeply get to know yourself and who you are today. Mm-hmm. It's equal parts all the tools from actor training that I see as a map for life coaching to really know who you are and what you want. And it's tons of incredibly important lessons and educational modules on the importance of values and knowing what makes you, you and understanding fear and all the forms and expressions of fear and understanding what's a vision and how do you map that out through action and everything that basically got my life completely on track and just put me so deeply in my own skin that I have absolute certainty in who I am in the world and what I offer the world and how I show up in everyday life. Yeah. My, my image, the, the, the image on my website, melissahurt.com is this, this tungsten light bulb because mm-hmm. I love the image of that light bulb because it just has this glow to it. Yeah. And you can, you can dim it or you can make it brighter, but that tungsten is there. And I feel like we all have that. We have that spark inside of us. And sometimes it might get dim because of just life. Sometimes mm-hmm. we don't know how to turn it up. And so everything I teach is about first finding that light and secondly, turning it up, mm. shining it, Excellent. shining it. Yeah, it's great. Excellent. Excellent. So for those of my listeners, and I'm sure there are many. Many, many people who have this, not many listeners. Like, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, that, hopefully, that, hopefully that will grow, you know, like in time. But <laughs> we'll, 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 ju- we'll see about that. But for many of my listeners, that's what I'm trying to say here, wh- that are dealing with this crippling imposter syndrome, what would you say is like the first step that they should take to kind of step out of that? Mm. First of all, know that it's totally okay that you have it. Mm-hmm. So let go of the shame cycle. Yeah. Um, I think that shame cycle just kind of keeps us on the hamster wheel and then it's just debilitating. So just let that go. I'd even say, give it a name. You know, like I was telling all my clients yesterday, let's just call it Timmy. And so when Timmy comes up, say, yo, well, Timmy, I see you. I'm going to focus on this right now. So yeah. being able to like, get to know your fear, but know that you are at the center of your experience, not the fear. Fear is just another expression. It's like a cloud moving over your sky Mm -hmm. and you can objectively see it, but know that you are still at the center of your world and you're the hero of your own story. You're the one in charge and it's your choice to make the action to move despite the fear. Mm -hmm. So I would say that I would say, you know, I have, I have a YouTube channel that's got a ton of meditation practices on it that are really beginner level approachable for all walks of life. If you go to my website, melissahurt.com at the footer, you'll see the little icon for YouTube. Just go there and subscribe and you'll have access to all these videos and they can help you feel yourself as the observer of your own experience while also Mm -hmm. feeling your experience. And when you're able to do that, you're able to then be responsive and not reactive. We tend to react Mm. towards fear and let it kind of take us over. Instead, if we can just feel it and say, ah, fear, you're here. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you just say to it, all right, we're in this car together, buckle up. Mm -hmm. I'm driving the car and you're not touching the radio. I'm in control (laughs) here and we're doing this. You know, right. because fear is not going to go away. When you have a level of fear with your work, it means you're onto something. Yeah. Because what fear is doing, it's a healthy expression that's trying to actually keep you safe. It's trying to hold you into what's normal because any new experience means that you have to adapt. And it says, no, we're kind of comfortable here though. 
And you're like, no, actually, I'm going to up level my life and I'm going to do this thing and it's going to be amazing and just wait and see. And thank you for trying to keep me safe. Always say thank you. Be kind to yourself Mm -hmm. and say, but we're actually doing this and it's going to be really cool. So you're going to sit back and let me just go. Excellent. And so melissahurt.com is where they can find you. Is that where they can basically, where else can they find you on social media? Yes, you can find me. Well, go go to the footer of, of melissahurt.com for all my social media handles, but you can find me on Instagram at melissahurt and then underscore integrative studio. You can find me on LinkedIn at melissahurt. I don't know what, I think, I think it's just melissahurt on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And then my YouTube channel. So yeah, find me there. Subscribe, like follow me because I'm constantly talking about creativity and imposter syndrome. It's kind of mm-hmm. all I post about. And so you'll get all kinds of freebies and little tidbits and things to work on because it is genuinely my passion to serve other people through mm-hmm. all of the experiences I've had myself and to share these tools that I have and you know, get yourself started there. But you can also subscribe to my email list on my website and you'll be on the wait list for Abundant Leader Academy to learn more about that. And when I open the doors to it, I'm so super excited about it and um, very confident that it will help people early in the program overcome imposter syndrome so that even by the end of the program, they may even have like a manuscript because really my clients are just taking it on with the, by the horns and doing amazing. That's fabulous. That is, yeah. that is, so, that is so terrific. Thank you. F- folks, Remember this. Rem- absolutely remember what I'm what I'm telling you here. If you are you are a creative person, you are very likely dealing with imposter syndrome, and you are not alone. And you have people like Melissa who want to help you, who want to help you get to that, break free from from that that's holding you back. And so, I really hope that all of you take the time to look within yourselves. Recognize that you that you may have it, and if you do, let's let's start working on moving past it because the world needs your stories. The world needs your creativity. And so, for Melissa Hurt, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. And I will see you next week. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today.